calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello there, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid, and it's 2013. Happy New Year, everyone. Our issue this month is again sponsored by our friends at Orbit Books. This month, look for The Red Knight, the debut fantasy series from the author Miles Cameron. You can find more from Orbit, including digital short fiction and monthly ebook deals at www.orbitbooks.net. Again, the stories here on the podcast are produced by Skyboat Road Company, Inc., which is spearheaded by Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Rudnicki, and these productions are in association with Raj and Kana. Our first offering for the January issue, and 2013, is The Sounds of Old Earth by Matthew Kressel. Matthew Kressel's fiction has appeared in Clark's World magazine, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Inner Zone, Electric Velocipede, and the anthologies at Naked City, The People of the Book, and After, 19 Stories of Apocalypse and Dystopia, as well as other markets. In 2011, he was nominated for a World Fantasy Award for his work publishing the speculative fiction zine, Sybil's Garage. When he's not designing websites or setting up computer networks for a living, he's learning to play the trumpet or teaching himself Yiddish. He co-hosts the Fantastic Fiction at KGB Reading Series in New York, alongside Alan Datlow, and has been a longtime member of the Altered Fluid Writers Group. His website is at www.matthewkressel.net. And that does it for this week's intro. So without further ado, let's make the jump to light speed. The Sounds of Old Earth by Matthew Kressel Earth has grown quiet since everyone's shipped off to the new one. I walk New Paltz's empty streets with an ox mask tied about my face. An acidic rain mists my body, and a thick fog obscures the vac-sealed storefronts. Last week they hauled the pyramids of Giza to New Earth. The week before Stonehenge. The week before that, Versailles and a good chunk of the Great Wall. But the minor landmarks are too expensive to move, the NEU says. And so New Paltz's Huguenot Street, 
seven centuries old, will remain here to be sliced to pieces in a few months when the planetary lasers begin to cut the Earth apart. I pump nano into my bloodstream to alleviate my creeping osteoarthritis and nod to a few fellow holdouts. We take our strolls through these dusty streets at ten every morning, our little act of rebellion against the mandatory evacuation orders. I wave hello to Marta, 96, in her stylishly pink ox mask. I shake hands with Dr. Wu, who performed the op to insert my cranial when I was a boy. I smile at Cordelia, 133, as she trots by on her quad servo legs. All of us have lived in New Paltz our entire lives, and all of us plan to die here. Someone laughs behind me, a sound I haven't heard in a long time. A group of teenage boys and girls ride ancient turbo cycles over the cracked pavement toward me. They skid to a halt, and their eager, flushed faces take me in. None wear ox masks, which is against the law. I like them already. Hey, Shinan, a boy says. Do you know where the frogs are? Before I can answer, an attractive girl with a tech plant on her cheek blows a dreadlock of green hair from her eyes and says, We heard some wankusity has an old house where he keeps a gozload of frogs. A boy pops a wheelie, and another takes a hint of braino from an orange inhaler. A third puffs a cigalectric and exhales fluorescent smoke. Behind my house I have a pond with a few frogs still alive, I say. Kshin, she exclaims. How about you ride with us? I'm Lin. These kids are as high as orbitals, but it's not as if I have much left to lose. Abner, I say. And just like that, I'm hanging onto her waist as we speed toward my house over broken roads no ground vehicle has used in decades. The wind in my face feels exhilarating. We're from Albany, Lynn says. We tried taking the old interstate down, but after Juan got tossed when he hit a cheetah crack, we decided to go local. Took us young ye. The stay screen around my property makes my fifty acres of forest flicker like water in sunlight. It's a matter of pride that I keep it functioning at high efficiency. After all, I designed the damn technology. When we pass through the screen's charged threshold, I take off my ox mask and breathe deep. The kids smile when they smell the fertile earth, the decaying leaves. It don't smell like this in Albany, Lynn says. We park the cycles on the overgrown grass, and I lead them into the woods behind my house. The kids stare up at the huge maples and birches and fall quiet. The frogs croak loudest at sunset and before it rains, I say. That's when the males are trying to attract the mate. The kids giggle as they leap over branches. If you really want to hear them, you should stay until it gets dark. You got anything to eat? A boy says. We haven't eaten since yesterday. I search inside the house and return with some ready-mates, pretty much all you can buy on earth these days, while the kids shudder and wobble as they inhale Braino. The green-haired Lynn wanders off to vomit in the trees. Is she going to be all right? I ask a boy. Oh, Lynn always pukes after her first hit. Want some? He offers a red inhaler, but I decline. We sit beside the pond, all of us squeezed on a log. Lynn sits next to me, and I pop up the straw of the ready-made for her. Are you okay? I say. Yeah, I always get all shunbeen when I deepen. It's probably none of my business, I say. But shouldn't you kids be in school or something? School closed four months ago, she says. Not enough teachers. So what do you do all day? 
She wipes saliva from her cheek and shrugs. I don't know. This? Another boy goes off to puke in the woods. What about you, she says. You live here all by yourself? I nod. And what do you do all day? Hang out with the frogs? Most of the time I just try to keep the stay screen working. That your job or something? Used to be. I was a stay screen engineer for 51 years. I designed the nanofilters that keep ecosystems like this free of envirotoxins. But the NRDC laid me off four years back. Why? This place is sin. I smile wanly. Because tox filtering's a dead business now. People are only interested in making new life, not preserving the old. She seems to take me in for the first time. And how old is this place, Abner? These trees look cheetah ancient. I know that when my ancestor built this house 400 years ago, the frog pond was already here. She sighs. Fucking any of you making you leave this place? They're making everyone leave. She throws a rock into the pond, and a dozen frogs squeak away in fright. Please, I say, gently touching her arm. You'll scare them off. How long, she says, giving me a tender look, and I'm not sure if she means the frogs or my eviction. Soon. The kids grow hungry again. I had been saving some hard-to-find veggie steaks for my grandkids, but they haven't visited in ages. As I grill them on the deck, the smoke rises through the trees, and the dipping sun sends girders of light through the branches. The kids inhale more Brano, howl with laughter, and Linda pukes again. And when they tire, I glimpse something desperate in their bloodshot eyes, something I've seen in the expressions of Cordelia and Dr. Wu and Marta and the other holdouts. Regret doesn't spare you just because you're young. You cycled all the way from Albany for this, I ask Lynn. Nothing but dust and skyscrapers there, she says. No real trees. We heard this was sin. Do you have kids, Abner? The question catches me off guard. Yeah, a son and daughter. And two grandkids. You sort of remind me of my granddaughter, Rachel. She pauses to consider this. They come here lots? Not anymore. Why not? I'd be here every day. They've moved. I point to the sky. She frowns, and her body sags like an old tree. We're moving, too. New Earth. She harumps. Nah, that's only for rich kids. We're going to Walmart Toyota. Haven't heard of it. You wouldn't. It's like Cheetah Ancient, one of the first orbitals. But you gotta go where they send you, or else, you know. I know, I say, staring at the upside-down trees reflected in the water. Night creeps over the forest, and the frogs begin their mating calls in earnest. The croaking rises to a din, and the kids pause and listen. The glorious stars emerge, and I'm not sure if it's my imagination, but if the frogs seem to plead to them over and over again, Save us, save us, save us. We listen for a while until the frogs tire. It's late, I say. It's a long way back to Albany. Why don't you kids stay? There are plenty of beds. So we head inside. I set them up with fresh linen I haven't used in years, and during the night I hear fucking and shuffling and laughing as I pour myself tumbler after tumbler of rye whiskey until I pass out. Late in the night I hear someone whimpering outside my door, and I rise groggily from bed. 
Lynn sits in the hallway, her eyes as red as cinders as she looks up at me. I'm sorry, she says, wiping away tears. I didn't know that was your bedroom. What are you doing? Nothing, she says as she climbs to her feet. You okay? I was just thinking. You don't know us, Abner, but you welcomed us into your home. I shrug. This place was made for guests. She stares at the walls. Must have been beautiful when it was full of people. I nod. It was. She stands there, and again she reminds me of my granddaughter, who I never see. I want to hug her and tell her the future will be sin, that everything will work out eventually. But I'm too drunk to lie. It's late, Lynn. Go to bed. A tear rolls down her cheek. She nods and turns away. I close the door, feeling as if I've missed something important. It takes me forever to fall back asleep. The next morning, the kids are gone. The house looks as if a tornado has blown through. But one bedroom has been tidied, and there's a note on the nightstand. The frogs are beautiful. You are beautiful. Thank you for a perfect day, Lynn. I hold the note in my hand and stare out the window into the empty yard. I already miss their laughter. Several months before I received the evac order, I visited New Earth for the first time. My son Joseph played the guide and took me to the Ishibuto Mori Preserve, a dense rainforest on the northern hemisphere. Giant sequoias planted a few years ago had already grown hundreds of feet tall. Carrion flowers had been engineered to smell like cotton candy, and the rains came precisely at 2 p.m. every day. Clear plexi walls kept us safe on a paved path that led us, like Dorothy to Oz, to John Muir Mall. It was a palatial marketplace where they seemed to have anticipated every human need. Food, clothing, jewelry, a pub, an immersion cinema, a spa. All was here, square in the middle of the rainforest. A hollow host welcomed us to the mall's courtyard and carefully explained, as if he were speaking to children, how old earth had become uninhabitable, how humanity's first home was ruined forever because those before had no appreciation for the natural world. But the Ishibuto Mori Corporation, along with dozens of other companies, were hard at work ensuring that New Earth avoided this fate. As my son and I ate oversized burgers in the courtyard of Pfizer's McDonald's, I noticed that no one looked up when Earth rose above the forest canopy. Before the next scheduled rain, we left for home. Joseph's family lived in a spacious and many-windowed apartment on the 97th floor of a 300-story tower. Luxury condos like these, Joseph said, were popping up all over New Earth. My heart warmed when I saw my grandkids, Rachel and Pim. It had been several years since I'd seen them in person. They didn't visit Earth anymore. Today was Pim's twelfth birthday. My grandson blew out his candles, and we all shared papaya cake. On cues from my daughter-in-law... A shining mahogany andro poured coffee, brought out cookies, and cleared the dirty dishes. I felt like a princely CEO. On Earth, natural grain was absurdly expensive and hard to come by, but on New Earth, it seemed as plentiful as the scheduled rain. Pim's not the only one celebrating today, Joseph said in between sips of coffee. Tell Grandpa the good news, Rach. My granddaughter beamed and said, I got a full scholarship to G.E. Sinopec. G.E. Sinopec, I said. 
an orbital university. Oh, wow, I said. A full scholarship? That's sin. As a reward, Joseph said, Esther and I have decided to buy Rach a small lobber. You'd be surprised at how affordable they've become. I can visit Mom and Dad on weekends, Rachel said, and fly back to school on Sundays. And Grandpa, there's this low-fuel maneuver called a home and transfer that lets you fly over to Old Earth in a couple hours. Me and Leva are definitely headed there when they start dismantling it to get a closer view. Rachel, Esther said with an admonishing tone, why don't you see if Grandpa wants more coffee? He's got coffee, and isn't that what you bought the andro for? Rachel, don't be rude. But, Mom, his cup is full. Rachel Copperfeld? Please, I said. Yes, yes, they're dismantling old earth. It's no gay's secret. Why does everyone avoid that subject around me? Because every time we bring it up, Joseph said, you go on a rant about how they're tearing down your home. I stared at my son. It was once your home, too, if you remember. Joseph frowned. That was a long time ago, Dad. He waved his hand at his apartment. This is my home now, and I'd like to have a nice birthday for Pim. Is the frog pond still there, Grandpa? Pim asked. Yes. It's been a struggle to keep the pond free of toxins, but the frogs still croak away on summer nights. You remember when you used to put them in boxes to scare the hell out of Grandma Shosh? He giggled. And Rach used to make up silly names and marry them. They got so loud some nights, Rachel said, smiling, that my ears would ring the next morning. I shook my head and stared down at the plate of cookies. Those poor creatures don't know that their ancient home will soon be destroyed. Not destroyed, Joseph said. Dismantled. There's a difference. Countless species will be killed. I don't know what you call that. Some death will occur, Rachel said. But the geoengineers are making heroic efforts to save every documented species. Heroic, I said. Rachel, the cradle of humanity is being left to rot. I love Earth too, Dad, Joseph said. But the air is poison. The soil is toxic. You spend your whole gay's life trying to clean it, and for what? So we could watch Mom die slowly from the tox? He paused and took a deep breath. I want a better life for my kids. And your earth can't give that. I put down my cup. Since when did it become my earth? Once it was ours. Esther loudly sipped her coffee, a sign she was not amused by the conversation. Grandpa, Rachel said, it's not just the toxins, it's the overpopulation. We used up all the matter in the asteroid and Kuiper belts to make new earth. We need old earth's mantle to build more colonies. And besides... It's natural. Natural, I said as my belly grew hot. Yes. Rachel sat up straight and looked at her mother as if she had been preparing this for weeks. In living creatures, new cells are born from old ones, then the old cells die. But life continues. Your body's cells have replicated themselves dozens of times. Old Earth isn't ending, Grandpa. It's rejuvenating. The old cell is giving birth to a new one, and when the old cell dies, its contents are broken up and recycled. That's the course of life. The body of old earth will be gone, but its essence lives on. I stared at my family, all of them willing to throw away the priceless earth as if it were an obsolete piece of technology, and disagreed. 
Three days after Lynn's visit, I set my car down in central Albany. In a foggy rain, I wander past empty skyscrapers, drifts of wind-blown debris and vac-sealed buildings, kicking up clouds of gray dust. On Livingston Avenue, I meet a holdout who introduces herself as Helen. A sickly-looking kitten walks at her heel. "'Not many kids left,' Helen says, her voice muffled by a scratched ox mask. "'Green hair, tech plant on her cheek, ne? "'Yeah, that's Lynn Barmartin. "'Yong's kid. "'Hangs out with a bunch of Liumangs. "'If I recall, her father, Yong, worked in nanotesting.' "'A scientist?' I asked. "'Ha! "'No, they tested nano on him.' "'Oh. "'Where do they live?' "'Nowhere.' "'What do you mean? "'She's homeless?' "'As if. "'No, plenty of places to live here. "'She's gone.' Gone where? To Walmart Toyota, an orbital. You mean for good? Where have you been, Beachy? No one comes back to Earth. What about her friends? I hate myself that I can't remember their names. Are they still around? Haven't seen a kid in days. The whole north side of the city shipped off to Walmart Toyota. Heard the place is dreadful. They abandoned it mid-construction because they found better ways to build colonies using nano. But the kids were at my house three days ago. And they left two days ago. A fleet of ships took them away like it was a parade. And then I know why the kids cycled all the way down to Newports over dangerous roads. And I know the look in Lynn's eyes when she was crying outside my door that night, the feeling that I'd missed something. That was Lynn's last day on Earth. The kids wanted to see a piece of ancient Earth before they left it forever. Thank you, I say to Helen. I pet the sick kitten. Then I leave her empty city. By the time I arrive home, it's getting dark. There's a strange car in the driveway, and a young woman sits on my porch. For a moment, I think it's Lynn, but then I recognize my granddaughter's dark hair. Hi, Grandpa. Rach, what are you doing here? I came to say hi. I hug her hello. You came all the way here just to say hi? Why didn't you call? I could have prepared dinner. It was kind of a last-minute thing. It's great to see you. You look good, Rach. The wicker chair creaks as I sit beside her. How's school? It's tough, but otherwise, Xin. We stare at the overgrown grass as a wind whispers through the trees. The ground looks really healthy. I try. I remember when I used to sit on your lap and you'd tell me the silliest stories. I'd say come on over, but I think you're too big for that now. She smiles, but it quickly fades. Grandpa, the NEU can spot a flea from orbit. There's nowhere to hide. I don't plan to hide. I plan to stay right here. They'll force you out. Beyond the trees, a troublesome spot on my stay screen wavers. Maybe I won't give them the chance. Grandpa, she puts a warm hand on mine. You and I disagree on a lot of things. Promise me that when the time comes, you won't do anything stupid. Rachel, promise me. When I look at her, I see the child she once was, the girl who married frogs and danced in fields of sunflowers. I'm sorry, I say, but this isn't your earth. You don't understand. Maybe I understand more than you. She leaps to her feet. Nah, I have to go. Already? You just got here. I haven't examined the morning. 
She hugs me, squeezes a little too hard. Goodbye, Grandpa. I love you. And in seconds, her lobber is flying up into the sky. I watch it recede until it's just another star. Out back, the frogs croak louder than I've ever heard them. I sit on the wet grass under the stars, hugging a bottle of rye. Yesterday, another hurricane blew through the area, a product of Earth's new gravitational partner. A decade ago, they would have burnt the storms away with their orbital lasers, but Earth just isn't worth it anymore. They didn't even bother to give the hurricane a name. The storm washed away the dust, and the moon and new Earth lay hidden below the horizon. And in the dark, how beautiful is the sky! The stars are so bright they cast shadows. Their points are so clear I feel I could pluck them like apples from the sky. Jupiter rises slowly in the east, bright as an angel, and the Milky Way swathes gloriously across the heavens. If I could leap into the sky, I'd fall into it forever. Ashy, I say to my cranial, play grandkids' visit, summer 98. A hollow projects over my eyes. Little Rach sits on my knee, giggling. Birds chirp in the summer sun. The smell of roses. A soft breeze on my cheeks, all under the warm comfort of a well-functioning stay screen. Can we sit under the sunflowers again? A five-year-old Rach asks a much younger me. Sunlight trickles through fans of yellow petals as I follow her into my field of sunflowers. She sits on the ground beneath their giant blooms and says, I want to live in your house with you, Grandpa. I never want to go home. I watch her draw a house in the dirt with a stick. Like this one, she says. Ashy, play Shoshana's 60th birthday. Years earlier, Shosh opens the ancient oak door of our house. Everyone yells, Surprise! As my wife throws her hands to her mouth and shrieks, she drops a glass bowl. It shatters, and everyone chuckles nervously. A tear of happiness rolls down her sallow cheek. Even this far back, she's already showing signs of the tox. I excelled at removing the worst pollutants from environments, but with all my knowledge, I still couldn't protect my wife's body from them. You devil, she whispers to me, embarrassed. I thought you had forgotten. Never, I say. Damn, that bowl was expensive. I'll make it up to you. Oh, yeah? I lean in to kiss her, and I feel the press of her soft lips even after the recording ends. Ashy, play Joseph's first steps. Our same house, decades earlier. Shosh, younger, healthier, talks unmanifest. Little Joseph bravely climbs to his feet, takes two teetering strides, then falls. Shosh leaps to publish the hollow on the net for all to admire. She struts pridefully over to me and smiles. Kid learns fast. He's already better at walking than you are. My ancient self giggles. Ashy, pause playback. Google Wang Colony spins into view far above. I'd recognize the corporate colors from a billion miles away. I take another quaff of rye, then lay back on the wet grass. Cold moisture soaks into my back. Bank of Zhangguo Colony winks distantly across the sky. And even though it's hundreds of miles up, I think I can hear it tearing roughly across the cosmos.
I sit here, watching the stars, until new earth rises, spoiling the glorious night. I approach my house, plasteel container in one hand, rye in the other. I pour the liquid in the plasteel container into the foyer, and the hydrocarbon smell burns my nostrils. With a small lighter, I set flame to a soaked rag. I toss it into the house. For a moment, the rag burns like a candle guttering in a bedroom. Shadows dance across my ancient walls like memories. A pang of dread hits me. Is this really what I want? But it's too late. The foyer erupts in flame, and I leap back. In seconds, the fire roars louder than the frogs ever have. The heat singes my face as the house burns. And, just like that, I destroy the home that my fifteenth-generation great-grandmother built 417 years ago. With the stay screen shut down, the fire corkscrews freely into the sky. A column of smoke arcs away for miles, lit by the light of new earth. Once this would have aroused a hundred suppressor bots into action. Now... What is another fire when all will soon be ash? My ancient house burns to the ground. It takes a while. So I sit beside the pond. The frogs are quiet, perhaps watching the flames with me. I think of Rachel and the promise I made to her. And I think of Lynn. At dawn, when the police arrive, the only thing left of the house is a pile of cinders. The air is foul with soot as armed men read me the evac order. They bind me in plastic cuffs and escort me off my property. They seat me inside a small craft, and the young man across from me, in bulky police regalia, offers me anti-nausea nano for the trip to space. I was hoping to glimpse my property one last time as we lift off, but there are no windows. This is a prison ship. I paid a hefty fine and was ordered to take reintegration classes. Then I was set free. The process seemed rote, and I suspect I'm one of thousands. Joseph rented me an apartment in his condo for an absurd price, and he and Esther have been inviting me over nightly for dinner as if nothing at all has happened. Rachel calls from time to time to see how I'm fitting in. When I'm not skipping the reintegration classes or finding excuses not to join Joseph and Esther for dinner, I spend my time watching as the earth gets sliced open like a piece of fruit, as geometric chunks are carved out of its pulpy flesh 10,000 kilometers at a time. This evening my telescope and data feeds focus on the earth's northern hemisphere. It's time, Ashy warns. By piggybacking illegally onto satellite proxies, I have real-time access to the geoengineer's data net. On my hollow screen, a green light flashes twice, the signal from the foreman. In pan-Mandarin, translated on my screen, the foreman says, EDHL-22, begin the first longitudinal cut at your discretion. A full minute's pause, then a blinding flash. A molten orange circle of light moves south along the 70th longitude line for minutes, and even from this distance it's so bright it leaves spots in my vision. The cutting pauses as the laser's gyroscopes realign. Then it slices across the 40th latitude line, just under an emptied New York City. The laser traces out a great rectangle over the course of an hour. Then the grav beams tug the huge section out, 
like ice cream, the molten core drips toward Earth's center. By technology I don't pretend to understand, the layered walls of Earth don't collapse into the new space but stay fixed, and the white-hot core, from what I've read, is being artificially cooled 11.5 degrees per day. I wonder if any of the holdouts, like Cordelia or Marta or Dr. Wu or Helen and her kitten, escaped the mandatory evacs. As they slowly floated into the sky, would they think they were flying up to meet God? Over several hours, lasers break the chunk into hundreds of pieces. That one, Ashy says, highlighting a point in my vision. The land that was my home is shunted up to Trump Dominguez colony. It will be used, the data net says, as a countermass so the colony can maintain its highly sought-after earth-forward views. Four and a half billion years of algae and antelope, of brontosauri and bison, of woolly mammoths and glaciers, of trees and earthworms and amphibious frogs, just to become a paperweight so the rich can wake up to their plastic earth. That night I dream of frogs screaming. Years pass. Old earth is gone, every last piece used up. Today I sit next to Joseph, Esther, and Pim in an amphitheater of thousands. Rachel is graduating from G.E. Sinopec with a B.S. in Applied Biology. We sit through an endless procession of names. Pim and I converse a bit. His voice has deepened and he looks more like a man these days. He's polite and humors me, but I sense universes between us. I know this world isn't mine anymore. After the ceremony, we eat dinner at an expensive restaurant, and the low G does horrors to my stomach. Rachel, in her graduation gown, has been staring at me the entire meal. Grandpa, she says, will you come with me for a ride after dinner? I'd like to show you something. Her mother smiles. I've had too much to eat. I'm a little tired. Maybe next time. Joseph glares at me. Dad, he says, like he's scolding a child, because that's what I've become to all of them. I sigh. What did you want to show me? We head outside to Rachel's lobber, a frighteningly small vessel, and I climb into the passenger seat as eagerly as a man to the gallows. I was never good with zero-G. I try to hide my shakes as we leap off G.E. Sinopec and dive down to New Earth. For my graduation thesis, we had to recreate an old Earth ecosystem, she says, as part of the bioprojects to save as much life as we can. I examine her face in the reflected light of the planet. She is beautiful, my granddaughter. From under her rolled-up sleeve I see the glint of a tech plant, expressly forbidden by her father. I smile. So I chose your backyard, she says. Excuse me? Specifically, the lake behind your house with all the frogs. The lobber dips over a deciduous forest, and we descend tens of miles. My stomach feels like I left it back at the university. I didn't tell you, she says, because I knew how you were always going on about New Earth. She holds her breath, and when I say nothing, she says, and also because I really wasn't sure if it was going to work. What was going to work, I say. We swoop over fields of swaying grass, muddy swamps, and dense forests. Let me show you. We sat down in a field beside a thick wood. 
There are deep depressions in the mud, a sign of many previous landings. The sun hangs low on the horizon, and its orange light spills through the trees. She leads me into the woods, down a winding path, pausing to make sure I'm still with her, to warn me of a treacherous branch or root. The air here smells of mulch and earth and abundant life. She smiles, and suddenly it's like she's a toddler again, leading me into a field of sunflowers. And then I hear them. Frogs. Thousands of them, croaking away with strange voices. We approach a small lake, not too different from the one that was once in my backyard. I came by your house when I knew you were away, she looks apologetically at me, and I collected, um, specimens. They're not the same frogs, of course, she said. They have genes better suited to this particular environment, but they're direct genetic descendants. Essentially, these are your frog's great-grandchildren. The sound of their croaking rekindles memories of a thousand summer nights. I did it for school, of course, she says. But I also did it for you, Grandpa. I remember sitting beside your lake on summer evenings, listening to the frogs. Those times when we were all together are some of the happiest I remember. I wanted to bring a little of that here to New Earth for you. Now that I've got the population stabilized and the passing grade, she laughs, I could finally show you. I am flabbergasted. I don't know what to say. Say yes. She waves her hand, and a long document arrives in my vision. What's this? A deed, she says. I used a few connections at school, and I got a little financial help from Mom and Dad. Well, a lot of help. But I bought this land. And now I've transferred the deed to you. These fifteen hectares are yours, Grandpa. It's my gift. I'm stunned. Rach, it's beautiful. I reach to hug her. She whispers in my ear as she squeezes me, like she used to on summer nights on my porch so long ago. I thought perhaps you could build a house here. The frogs croak. Their sound is different, a little strange, and the trees are arrayed a bit too neatly. This isn't my earth, it never will be. But I think of green-haired Lynn and her friends, and Pim, and Joseph and Esther, and Rachel, all coming to visit. Yes, I say. A big house, with plenty of room for guests. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the tale. If so, and if you find the time, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or, if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. If you haven't already subscribed to Lightspeed Magazine, please take a moment to consider it and check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. We also hope that you'll check out Lightspeed Year One, a collection of audio stories from this podcast's first Hugo-nominated year. Look for it at audible.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Cheers from all of us at Lightspeed Magazine. Lightspeed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. 
Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.